Welcome everybody. This is our first episode of our educational podcast called IB Ed Talks. These are conversations with uh, some experts in education. We'll be starting off with Alia Hashim. She's our head of academics at the IB School. Welcome Alia. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Bilal? I'm great. Been excited about this for a few days now, you know, because I get to pick brains of somebody who knows a lot more about education than I do. So, you know, and I've got some personal questions to ask also. That's and, great. And, and, great. Sorry. I'm I forward to your questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the, the questions come from having um, seen your, your child grow in front of my eyes and my own child. And I see the, the, the difference in their paths in uh, learning skills and um, uptake on reading and especially reading. So I want to have a few questions about, you know, how children end up reading. And so I see my, my daughter and she's four. And it's very difficult for me to get her to, you know, want to read. She loves conversation. She loves talking, but she picks up these words phonetically from the house. And the way she switches between languages, she's brilliant at that. She knows who to talk to in Urdu and who to talk to in English. But getting her to read is a little, a little more difficult process. She loves books for their artwork. But I see your son. Um, I think he's been reading at a, at a, a grade level four years older than him. For the last three years, I've seen him do that. And so I wanted to figure out, I mean, how, not just how do you get him to do that, but how does the brain work? Because I really would want to know what is going on in my child's head. How are they uh, forming words and your child's head for that matter? You know, how is Shibble picking up the words that he does and, and, and wows everybody with his language? Okay. So um, there isn't a, a specific age group where we can say that, you know, this is, this is the perfect age for a child to start reading and this is when we should just begin. But so, I shouldn't be worried, right? so yeah, you shouldn't be right. But <laughs> but the brain architecture that is there for uh, learning to read is in place at a very young age, and um, we can actually take advantage of that. So um, there are uh, two systems in the brain, uh, in the left hemisphere of the brain, which is actually the center of language and reading, um, and uh, one of them is the visual system which helps us to recognize letters, objects, faces, and things. So that's specific to languages. Any language would be specific to their culture, so the kid can recognize C for that language. Yes, yes. And the other is the spoken language system, which is how children uh, make sense of the language that is spoken around them. For instance, for your daughter, whatever language is spoken around her, whether it's Urdu or English or whatever, does she uh, recognize the speech sounds in that language and does she uh, assign meaning to them? So basically, does she understand the spoken language around her? So, so uh, what really happens is that these two systems are in place at a very young age and um, what is actually left is making the connection between them and that connection is what assists us in our ability to read. But before making the connection, the connection would be how those words mean something. That's the connection. Yeah, the connection, how the words can be assigned a sound and then meaning. Assigned a sound and meaning. Yeah. I think what my daughter is going through at school, I think, is phonetics and she's assigning sound to words. Even compound letters like SH means, I mean, sounds yeah. differently. Yeah. So, okay. So and that's the complication of the English language. Okay. Yeah, yeah. there are actually 26 letters, but 44 sounds. Oh, 44. I did not know yeah. that. That is why English is actually more difficult to read. Then we'll probably go do or Farsi. Urdu or yeah, even Finnish or other languages which are which are called transparent languages because they have a one-to-one -one correspondence. Each letter has one sound. But in English, letters can have so many different sounds. So and so, if you were to design a language from the start, English would be a bad language to start. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, but we end up because of colonization, that's what we're stuck with. Okay, okay, that's fine. So how do humans, how do these kids, how do humans, how do they make these connections between the, 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 the sound and the meaning? Okay, so for that, I'd have to go a little bit into the neuroscience of the brain and uh, tell you about um, how, what happens in the brain when we read a word, basically. So uh, when uh, any child or any adult reads, uh, reads a word, they have uh, activity in the visual input of the brain, which is uh, the, the area which recognizes letters. So here's a child who's reading, let's say, bat. So the visual input will say, okay, this is B-A-N-T. That is the recognition of the letters. And then that, that uh, area, then the activity in the brain moves into the visual word form area, which concentrates those uh, three letters to form a word, bat looking at them together and then there's an explosion of activity into two different networks one that is looking at the sound the pronunciation and articulation of the word and the other that is looking at the meaning of the word so this is uh, the the process of reading in the brain so what is left is strengthening the connection in the visual word form area which is directly proportional to your reading ability so if you have been reading fluently for many years the network in your visual word form area would be very strong okay but i'm 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 not talking about me i'm talking about let's say a three-year-old or a four-year-old these kids who start reading now yeah or are are, at the school is getting them to maybe learn how to pronounce words and then make meaning out of them yeah so but 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 uh I remember when we were learning, I don't think it was phonetics. I don't remember having to learn sounds before meanings. I think, especially for languages that we acquire at home, uh, it was just word and then the meaning and yeah. as, as a whole. Yeah. So now, what are the two approaches? Because I've heard two different approaches to reading itself. So could you elaborate on the two approaches? Yes, I can. So uh, there's been this whole debate about how to teach reading. Uh, and some um, educators or researchers say that we should use the phonics-based approach, which uses letter-sound correspondences. And then others say... Sorry, can you explain that to me? Letter-sound correspondences? So letter-sound correspondences is basically how we teach phonics. Phonics is an approach to uh, teaching reading where you teach children the individual sound of each letter and the, the way the letter looks is called the grapheme, and the way the letter sounds is called the phoneme. So it's also called the graphophoneme relationship. I think that's what my daughter is doing in school these days. Yeah. Most schools probably are uh, using that philosophy. Right? Yes, that yes, okay. they are. But I will get to that because um, I feel that there's a lot more that they can do. Okay. Uh, what I was saying is that uh, this is the phonics approach and then there's another school of thought which says that children should just be able to look at the word and memorize and recognize it and read it. So now... So treat the word like a, a whole word symbol maybe. Yeah, like a, like a universal global shape that they just recognize immediately as they look at it. And uh, the truth is that the recent research has shown that there is no whole word approach. It's a myth. It's complicated because we as adults, our fluency has improved so much that we look at the word and we recognize it. So we feel that, oh, okay, maybe this is just one way of reading. But the truth is that when children are learning to read initially, or anybody is learning to read initially, so they are making the sound connection. They are decoding from the letter to the sound to the meaning. But as time passes and we become more fluent, they move directly from letter to meaning as the process is automatized. Because I think I can relate to that because I think when I'm reading Urdu, because we don't read it enough, we make that sound letter to sound to whole word, then to then the word and meaning. Yeah. Instead of the whole word, while I look at English words, and I see 
about about I think a thousand or so words are used every day, and we recognize them as a whole word right away. Yeah. So, so your connections have become fluent and automatized in English, and probably they are not as strong in Urdu then. Obviously, there. So that would be the better way of so you. So could you propose the right? So so then the implication for this is simply that reading should be taught via phonics, and phonics is the best approach to teach reading because you're strengthening the letter sound connection in the brain, and. The faster you strengthen it, the earlier you strengthen it, the more quickly the process will become automatized. So now, how do you get your child to do it at the age of two? Is what I want to know. <laughs> well, in uh, my son's case, uh, I remember that I was doing a course on reading when he was uh, about uh, a year and a half. And um, everything I used to learn, all the the phonics that I used to learn, I used to come and practice it on him. So you were a guinea pig, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that he picked it up really quickly. Okay. He picked it up in, I guess, a couple of weeks, and he was really uh, into it. And so I just kind of followed his lead. And very soon, I, I got him some magnetic letters to play with, and he started putting them together to Makes make sense. to make words. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay. Because I see him read, and I and I and I I see him make the the word, and then the sorry the letter and the sound connection, and then even if he doesn't know the meaning of the word, he can at least pronounce the word very well. So the so there's there's two parts of reading. First part would be the recognizing the sound and making the pronunciation, and then finding out the meaning for that meaning. word. The meaning, yeah. Okay. So I mean, uh, so the, the but in all I'm assuming in all cases the. Pronunciation comes first, and then the meaning. Yes. Is that the case? Yes, that's the case. Okay. It's the letter-sound connection, and then the accessing the meaning. So, as far as I mean, I, I mean, I, I see different schools, and then kids in different schools trying hard at English because we have to our curriculums in English. So, what could what are schools doing right? What are schools that could do better, or what shouldn't they be doing? You know, in your opinion. So um, yeah, so so one thing about uh, what schools should be doing is that. Phonics is uh, something that I feel that is still uh, emerging in the Pakistani um, schools in 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 schools in Karachi, and um, I think uh, what is not focused on is the is the quality of the sound that they're teaching. So if if they're teaching the sound of the letter M, they say M, and that is not a pure sound. Because the purest sound is the shortest sound. So if you're saying the sound of M is M, you're actually adding the E, and the sound is actually just M. So if you're teaching the word mat, you say M at is mat. And when you say the children, okay, now put this together, and then say M at, and you they say it faster and faster, it will make mat. But if you tell them to say M at and T, so then if you put it together, it makes something that sounds like M at, which isn't a word, and that becomes uh, that that isn't like the right way to teach them to put sounds together. But you're you're absolutely right because I remember in my time we were taught the M and the A and the T. My daughter right now, I think her school is teaching her the pure, the sound. pure sound because she says Ba Ba Ba, it's M M M. And I'm like, no, it's M, Mama, Baba, it's M, and I get that, and I understand that. I think, oh, uh, but but, okay. I, what else are they doing? That you know, what else? Uh, so um, sometimes people ask me, what is the best phonics program to use as a school? And um, there isn't really a one very good program. They all have similar uh, a similar system. They all are systematic, and they all follow the same. Um, uh, Pro uh, progression. For instance, they all start with four or five 
letters which include one or two consonants and at least one vowel. And what happens in that is like for instance if they have M-A-S-T-D, so they can make mat, they can make sat, and, and then the process is that you don't teach all the sounds together. You start with that little set of sounds, the first set of sounds, and then you teach children to blend with them. So when you're teaching M-A-S-T-D, so you'll be teaching m as d and they'll be making mat and mad and sat and sad and all those words. And once they are familiar with that process, you move on to the next five set of sounds, and that is called systematic phonics, actually. Okay, okay. So, That's pretty exciting. Yeah. I, think what, what, I think what schools could also do, in my case, talking as a parent, is that maybe they could educate us also because they, the, the buck of encouraging reading is also passed on to the parents. I mean, I, I know it's our job also. The school can only do so much in the six hours that the kid is there. Four hours, three hours in most cases. So, so as parents, I don't want to be teaching them exactly opposite the way that the school is. So maybe the school should also, you know, maybe once a month or once a week, you know, talk to us about how to take that baton forward at home. Okay, this is how the kid should be reading with you. Because I did, I did not know any of this stuff. I mean, you took a course and you could help your own child for that. But I, I'm sorry, I have to ask you to, for information. I have no idea what to do at home. Yeah. I just pick up a book and I just read it to her and she has... I'm just guessing by reading a book 15, 20 times, she might learn a word or two. Also, another thing is that uh, like schools also, uh, some schools need to understand that there's a whole progression to even learning phonics. Like there, before phonics, before you be begin the grapheme and the phoneme correspondence, there's another process that needs to, uh, that children might need to go through, which is phonological awareness. Oh. So okay. phonological awareness is basically understanding the sound structure of language. So for that, children don't need to know what a letter looks like. This has nothing to do with the grapheme. It's only about being aware of the sounds in the language. So if, I, if I'm a teacher teaching phonological awareness, I'm going to be uh, talking to the children about how words rhyme together, like orally, doing these little activities like bat and sat and mat rhyme. And then I can say, okay, what are the sounds that you can hear in bat? And I'm not doing any of this on paper or on the board. I'm just talking to them. So what are the sounds that you can hear in bat? And they'll say, and, and they say, okay, what if I take away the b? And I put an m. And I say, okay, that's m, a, and. So all this kind of manipulation of sounds orally, this is phonological awareness when they become actually very familiar with how to use sounds in different ways, how to manipulate them. And after that oral process, then comes the process of phonics where you actually show them a letter and then you say, okay, the sound associated with this letter. Is, um, Actually, teaching the English language is not so boring as I thought it would be. It sounds exciting, you know. But I, th I, I think uh, I think it's justified that we spend more time doing language acquisition much early on than anything else. Yeah. yeah I mean, even more more so than math, social skills, maybe, but English. Obviously, because we all need a language to, for for communication. I think in our country with the curriculum is English based I understand why yeah, yeah and it's actually not so difficult it's just cracking a code once you kind of get the code if you understand the alphabetic code for English for instance then you're good to go after that is just a process of becoming more fluent in the language brilliant brilliant so actually I wanted to ask you what can we as parents do to help a child or children acquire uh, or accelerate their learning about reading well, um, the first thing I'm going to say, and it's going to sound really cliched, is that read to your child. Just read, read, read. I used to read to my son all the time, for hours sometimes. So when you read to the child, is he also, do you make sure that, that your child is also looking at the same words you're reading or he's just sitting 
away from you just listening to you read? Well, uh, it would be helpful if the child is also looking at the same page and can associate the words with the pictures to sort of get the comprehension of what is happening as well. And um, since reading is not just a process of decoding sounds, it's also about comprehension. So it's important that when you're reading, you should ask your child a lot of questions. Okay, okay, okay. And a, a lot of different types of questions, like who questions, why questions, what questions, where questions, just, you know, go on adding uh, questions as you read with your child. I know my, my, my daughter asked me, but she's more focused on the, the pictures in the book than anything else. But I understand that that's probably where the imagination also takes them also. Yeah, and initially I guess children do that a lot. They do look at the pictures and gradually over time then they start seeing that, you know, what you're reading is um, something which is below the pictures or on the side of the pictures and start focusing there as well. Following up with that, I wanted to ask, so what kind of books, what kind of books should we be looking for my child to get? Or is there a, is there a plan of, okay, start from this level and then go to that level? Yeah. Maybe it's Dr. Seuss or maybe it's... it's so, well, there are two types of books that you're going to find. Uh, there are, uh, some are called decodable readers which are the kind of readers that you find in Oxford Reading Tree, you know, like you were talking about level one, level two, and, and those are specifically for teaching levels of reading. Um, however, I personally feel that picture books also help a lot in learning to read, and, and um, their stories are more gripping, and uh, their illustrations are better. So when you find uh, bright, colorful picture books that your child is interested in, so you buy them and you read them over and over again with your child. So that is one thing. And another thing is that um, to, to build on uh, the reading process, it is important to have a very print-rich, language-rich environment in your house so you can um, make sure that you discuss topics, that you talk about a lot of different things and that you have uh, books lying around so that your child can develop their literacy skills which are called like pre-emergent skills, how to hold a book, how to turn a page and all these things. So um, I guess as a parent maybe it's good to be aware of um, how you can make your home uh, more language rich and print rich. Okay everybody, so that wraps up our first episode of uh, IV Ed Talk. Uh, I'm sure you've learned a lot. I definitely have about the reading process in children. And I have, uh, and uh, thank you, Aliyah, for being here with us today. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. If you have any more questions to ask us, please email us at uh, edtalk at iv.org.pk. The link will be at the bottom of the you know, description of the video. And we'll be back again with more conversations with Aliyah and other experts about different aspects of early childhood education and then later on primary years also because. As I grow, or as my child grows, I also have enough questions to ask. So, you know, it, this is more personal than anything else for me. Thank you again, Aliyah, for being with us. And thank you, everybody, for watching.